who actually owns the schema. Um, I've been struggling with that, but I don't know if it's weird enough for the uh, data engineering space, but that's my take on the weirdness. Destinations podcast, where we talk about all things data and data engineering. And this week, we're happy to be with you with a brand new guest for the conversation today. I want to remind our listeners that you can listen to us not only on our native homes at SoundCloud and Spotify, but also now through Google Podcast and platforms like Breaker. You can also check us out on the StreamSets website under the community section, where you can stream all of these episodes directly through the website. And this week, I'm really excited about our shiny new logo. We hope that you guys like the design as well. And we're inviting data engineers from all around the country to join in these conversations with us to really dig deep into data engineering and data ops. And as always, I'm Sean Anderson, your host, and I'm joined by my faithful co-host, Dash Desai. Dash, will you tell us a little bit about our guest this week? Absolutely. Thanks, Sean. And thanks, everyone, for listening in today. So this week, we're super excited to host Naveen. He's a data solutions architect at Sony PlayStation. Naveen's work is aimed at helping studios across the world plan better for the next game release. His role requires using the right data frameworks to enable analysts and coordinating with business line planners make wise financial decisions. So, hey, Naveen, welcome to the Sources and Destinations podcast. Would you like to say a couple of words about your background in data engineering? Thanks for inviting me, uh, Dash and Sean. I've been working with Sony PlayStation for the last seven years. Most of my work has been helping out the financial analyst do wise planning decisions. And my focus has always been in um, ETL and mostly on using tools to deliver those solutions. So I'm excited to be in this podcast specifically, you know, designed for data engineers. Thank you. No, that's great. Thank you for joining us today. So the first time we spoke, you mentioned that Kafka changed your view of how data management worked. Can you please elaborate on that for us? Yeah, sure, Dash. Yeah. Once this whole big data world started, you know, exploding, there were too many technologies in the in that space. And coming out coming from the Informatica world, which is which was my uh, go-to tool for a lot of uh, data processing, I pretty much got confused and I ended up with this uh, book called Making Sense of Stream Processing by Martin Klepman. Out of all the technologies that I played around up until then, uh, this book changed my mindset. And I didn't even realize it was about Kafka, but I got it in a conference. So when I was reading through that, it, it gave me so much confidence uh, as a data engineer that, okay, so they're not just simply throwing away the old technologies, but they're just saying that, you know, the whole, uh, concept is actually evolving from the older uh, world. So that kind of gave me a confidence in saying that, yeah, this, they're talking, making sense now. They're not just saying that, 
okay, uh, we're inventing something new. Um, so when I mean they, it's actually Confluent folks. Um, so when I, uh, the, the key things that I liked in that book are that, okay, so what did work in the old days, right? So one is transaction logs, which is the core, core thing that exists in every database. And um, so you, to, to, you pretty much can rebuild the whole database using transaction logs. And they took that concept. And then the second one is the Unix piping, um, the concept of actually pushing down stuff from one command to another one. Um, and Unix piping has been there from ages. And then the message queues. So blend of all these three is what I understood as Kafka. And that actually, you know, made it very clear for me that, okay, this is, this, this makes sense. And then I started to map things into my world, which is uh, database and ETL tools, right? And when I started to notice that, so the database basically consists of the transaction log and the, the storage, and then the transaction log, and there is a co compute element to it. And then there are schemas um, to organize the whole data. So if you basically uh, split this out, you have all these newer technologies that are um, in the big data world. To take an example, now Kafka would be something that would do storage, right? And it, it's and it has a transaction log embedded into it. So you pretty much covered the storage piece of, uh, let's say take an Oracle database. So storage and transaction log is covered there. And then the compute. So in the Kafka world, you pretty much can, you know, spin up a, a, a Kubernetes cluster to just to process the data that sits in uh, Kafka. So you already took out the compute out of it. And then uh, Kafka has these, uh, not just Kafka, I think Confluent guys have this concept called schema registry. I think that that is a, the key thing that I think is is making a big difference. So the schema registry basically is is, is how your data is, you know, um, in, in Kafka world. Um, in Oracle, we used to have this whole table structures, uh, you know, uh, you know, the tables, you know, constraints and all these things, right? So you could think of that as a schema registry. Um, so where I'm going with this is you pretty much are ripping the database into smaller modules and we have tools for them. And Kafka sits right in there. And so, and which gave me a, a, a good advantage in when I'm looking for newer tools, right? So because all these things, data processing modules are broken out and I can pick and choose which one fits where. Um, just to take an example, schema registry, which I thought was the, the only guys in the market, right? And now from last four years, we have like six tools, a data hub from LinkedIn, which actually manages all the schemas, uh, it, wherever the data is. And then there is a Nemo from Facebook. I mean, you know, there's at least Amundsen, but from Lyft, which I really like because they actually use graph database on the backend, which I think is very neat. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's that's what changed my perspective on uh, data management, and I give credit to Kafka for that. That's that's really interesting, Naveen. Um, and you pointed out some good things there, and I wanted to drill into it. So obviously, you came from, you know, the world of kind of monstrous legacy platforms like Informatica, which do everything soup to nuts across the data value chain, from master data management to governance to to ETL. Now you're looking at tools like Apache Kafka that uh, you know are are still enterprise but are open source, very modular in terms of you know Kafka does what exactly what it does and doesn't you know try to do all of the other things. Yes. Do you, do you see that as kind of 
a shift or are they part and parcel of the same thing? Uh, it's, I would say it's a continuation because I, I would think that Informatica was the first guys who actually took compute out of database, right? They, they literally did like saying, don't do the compute for me, Oracle. I know how to do it. And um, so I, I think it's a continuation. I think we, we are hitting the you know peak of that, like breaking everything apart and you know having one specific tool do the thing. So to take an, another example, I think that Informatica even covered the schema registry, to be honest. Because if you think about it, every other data uh, uh, in the company were supposed to create a source and a target inside Informatica. So like a definition, right? That pretty much is schema registry. It is just that they didn't envision that to be a separate module really. Um, but anybody could go and query those sources and targets um, like as if we are doing a discovery of uh, data. Uh, so I think it's a continuation, Sean. Yeah, that's awesome. So we talked a little bit about technologies and tools like Informatica. What are your thoughts on domain-driven architecture with regards to data engineering? Yeah, so domain-driven, I think there are many words around this, but I, what I think of domain-driven is a decentralized way of working. Uh, the best analogy I have is as uh, a world map, right? Uh, the current world we live in. Um, if I think all the countries as domains, and these domains are organic in the sense they might come up and go, right? So like finance, uh, finance, marketing are pretty standard domains in an enterprise, but you could have new domains come up and go. Um, so let me go back to the world uh, map scenario. So what I think of uh, domain-driven is, is that so all these domains have their own uh, way of doing things inside their domain. Um, U.S. has its own legal stuff, or you know the way that things has been done, and, and let's say take India, it has its own stuff. But all these are connected through actually events. I think that's the key thing in this whole data processing frameworks. They all are going to end up in this mode of domain-driven design, in the sense all these domains will they do their own stuff, uh, and then they throw out events that other domain can consume. Taking back, going back to the analogy here. So a COVID thing happened in China, that's an event in one domain, and that even event is thrown out and any other domain could react to it and they could ignore it too. So some of them have ignored as we have seen, and you know, uh, there could be a effect on that domain. So US probably reacted to it in a different way. And so in, in, in enterprise world, it's, it's gonna be the same thing. All these domains will have their own tool sets uh, not like the old days where, okay, yeah, there is one tool that I'm going to give you, so all the domains have to use them. And I think that's not uh, going to help because each domain has their own assets that actually they can deliver better value if they had their own tool. So I think this whole domain-driven uh, design will actually make uh, tools available for that domain. The analyst will be empowered with the right tools. Um, so coming to the data engineering part of it, obviously that analyst um, would would want to have uh, the end-to-end -end control over it, like the data ops or whatever we call it, right? The, the tool needs to have the nice user experience. Um, so that's where I think the industry is leading to and, and taking some of the examples of the stream sets is one where we, we have the great user experience to actually collect the data. And then similarly, I've, what I've seen in Kafka uh, uh, world is that there is a tool called Landoop, just to take an example. Those guys have uh, provided the user with end-to-end -end framework um, 
And on the back end, there are so many moving parts, um, but that doesn't matter because the open source and all these uh, tools have made this whole the broken down modules that you can plug in and plug, uh, plug out inside that uh, user interface. Um, so I think ultimately this domain driven uh, design actually is gonna make analysts more powerful and it might it may take out the IT department, to be honest, because the data engineers and analysts will sit inside those domains, supporting purely that domain. Yeah, thanks. That makes sense. So does that also mean that each team is using right tool for the right job? And then not only that, but different teams have to work with each other together, right? So if, if the answer to that question is yes, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, then can you talk about the team dynamics in your organization? Like how many uh, senior data engineers do you have? How do you work with other teams and things like that? The communication between domains is gonna happen through uh, events or our data discovery tools, right? I think that will be at the enterprise level. Uh, if you if you talk about like how, how these domains communicate, but I think it's, it's inside the, the domain, we would have, uh, data engineers and analysts are, are actually the data scientists that support actually that business function. And so, so to, to the next question, I think my team actually has two data senior data engineers and one data scientist, I should say, um, and then we interact directly with the financial analyst. Um, so that's how we are set up. And when we communicate to the other teams, it's mostly, uh, like I said, it's it's very decoupled system in our case. So we either uh, get data using the files itself, the CSV files, or we uh, get it through a standard database. Excellent. So you talk a lot here about distribution and decoupling. Um, I'm curious, how does the collective team, uh, you know, look at things like repeatability and creating artifacts to kind of save developer time. You talked a lot about self-service and be able to do data discovery, but what mechanisms do you guys have in place to make sure that the best practices that one team is, uh, you know, learning gets distributed out to the other teams? Yeah, it, it, that's a challenge, obviously. Um, but I think uh, going back to the data discovery stuff, uh, there are initiatives inside our company uh, that actually is making all the data sources um, available for uh, discovery in, in that uh, new application. And I think Atlas is the one that we're trying to get on board. Um, so I, I think it's ultimately the, I'm putting all of them in, in a discovery uh, label uh, that could be schema registry or the lifts way of doing things and uh, you know showing all the lineage for the data. Uh, everything could be part of that discovery module and um, so that that part is taken care of by atlas i think uh, but when it comes to the actual standards i think it, it it's, it's going to be with the domains especially if you're moving towards the domain driven designs i think what they do inside that domain actually doesn't um, really translate to you know helping the other domain because the needs are different and because their tools are so uh, paper use and specific to that need I, I think it's it's up to the domain to decide what it, it wants to do. But I think the key thing, like you said, is the communication between each of these domains. And that should happen through uh, data discovery tools, um, showing all the lineage and everything. 
and a universal event hub which stores all the events which are relevant from all these domains in one place i think that's what would that that's what would solve the problem excellent so it sounds like really creating best practices is around empowering your teams to do that discovery yeah. and then also read uh read all the 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 schema uh clues that will kind of get you there do you kind of characterize that as something unique about PlayStation or do you feel like that's a model that, you know, the industry is, is going to have to adopt? No, I think it's specific to PlayStation. I feel because previous companies I worked for, the model wasn't like this. I always was uh, leaning towards centralized models saying that we can support every other um, use case, but in PlayStation, I, at least in my world uh, of PlayStation studios, that's, that's little, yeah. I would say it's specific to PlayStation. Uh, just to add, Sean, I think empowering the user, I think you got that right. I think that's what matters ultimately. And the way you empower is actually through the user experience. And and especially in data engineering world, user experience means having, you know, uh, giving a, a trust to the, the business user that, okay, I know where it is coming from and I can trust this guy. And that only happens through the whole, you know, giving them a, a transparent view of these whole operations, you know, of how the data moves uh, from the real source to where they can do the analysis. That's great. I think that's a good segue into the next question that I have. How do you see data ops put into practice at Sony PlayStation? Yeah, um, I think the key to that is uh, the way I would use data ops is to bring trust to the, you know, the business user who's actually using the data. Uh, so. The most of the times, their their concerns are: Are we collecting the data correctly? Um, are we able to support the the critical workflow they have? And are we able to anticipate what is coming next? Right. This these are usually the common business user scenarios. Um, so, the data ops here play you know plays a big role in doing all those uh, supporting all those things. Um, in specific to uh, some of the use cases that I work with. It actually helps them understand where the data came from. Um, uh, to, to take some examples, I've used a couple of tools, ETL tools. I think um, and so, some of them have a granular way of showing how the, the data moves. And some show, um, like for example, stream sets actually has a bunch of things that I think are very valuable, like data alerts and meter-based alerts. Um, you know, and then the statistics of, of how the how much data has been processed. Um, so, so, so I think those are the ones that we really use in our current pipelines. I think it'll add a lot more value going forward. Yeah, that makes sense. So now we're down to the final segment of the podcast, which is one of my favorites. Uh, it's called the one weird thing. Mm -hmm. So as we work on data engineering projects, big or small, we always run into these weird things, right? Like a good example that I can give you right now is working with different date formats across platforms, databases, sources, and destinations. Get it? So is yeah. there something similar that stands out for you that uh, you want to share with the audience? Another good example I'll give you is time zones, right? So can you think of something that you can share? When we were talking about the schemas, um... One debate I always had was, is it the data owner who should define the schemas or uh, the 
the end user who's consuming it who should define the schema. So why I'm asking, why I think it's weird is uh, there are tools in AWS um, like Glue and other guys who use uh, AI to decipher the schema. Um, so that's one way to do it. And the other one is actually like the count, uh, the schema registry way where I'm defining the owner, defining the schema. So I'll, so I always thought this is like a, a dilemma for who actually owns the schema. Um, I've been struggling with that, but I don't know if it's weird enough for the uh, data engineering space, but that's my take on the weirdness. No, that's absolutely valid. I I can think of an example as well where you have APIs, right? And you have a contract, mm-hmm. uh, people developing APIs versus people consuming APIs. Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah, thanks a lot. That was That was a good, unique one for sure. So Naveen, I really want to thank you for being our guest on Sources and Destinations this time and really enjoyed your insight on how you operate as a team, um, how you evaluated data engineering tools, and obviously your experience brings a ton of value to the conversation. So I hope everybody out there enjoyed uh, this week's conversation. We'll be back with you in two weeks with Joseph Ariola from Yellow Chat, really this time. So please join us in two weeks for our next episode. 